Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth, together we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic, where we explore enchanting tales through our conversations. Join us as we explore the magical world. I am your host, your ghost host, Barry. Our guest began his Disney journey in 1979, working in attractions at Magic Kingdom Park, first at Pirates of the Caribbean and followed by Jungle Cruise. Today, and for the last 27 years, he was formerly part of the Disney Institute Delivery and Advisory Services team, helping individuals and organizations around the world learning the Disney approach to guest experiences and how to apply it to their own businesses and professional lives. He once said, we talk about Walt almost like he's still in the room. I can honestly say that what was important to Walt is important to our organization and company a century later. That really sets us apart. What we do every day is magic. We will go ahead and meet this incredible man in a minute, but first, let's meet our past. We'll start off with everyone's favorite Disney dad, Matt. Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Barry. Really excited to uh, jump into tonight's conversation. All right. Yeah, this is going to be a great one. So I'm glad if you're listening, you're going to enjoy this. Next up, we have the real lady divine, Lindsay. Lindsay, how you doing? Good, Barry. How are you? Doing good, doing good. And joining us from the Duck and Dog Show, we have our good friend, Lisa. Lisa, how you doing? Hello, everyone. I just got back from Cast Connection, overloaded my car of things. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> All right. And finally, we have the Goofy Dupe himself, Jeff. Jeff, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. So, Rob, they call me the Goofy Dupe because I'm I'm a very, I'm an amateur voice actor guy and, and uh I, I study Bill Farmer's Goofy uh, very, very intentionally. And so I, I love to introduce our guests sometimes I'm in, in, a, in the goofiest voice I know. So I'm here it goes. So Morge, let's give a big hearty welcome to Rob Morton. <laughs> We're plum tickled to have you joining the fun today. Oh my go. gosh, that was fantastic. Thank <laughs> so, you. Jeff, um, you, you and I just made a, a connection you're not aware of. I had the good fortune uh, many, many years ago to, um, I think the right terminology is to be a very close friend of Goofy for about 20 minutes. Oh, and wow. It was one of the most memorable experiences of my life and um, being able to, to, to see that from that perspective and, and that experience for children is just something that, again, I'll never, ever forget it. Awesome. Um, wonderful. And, and Lisa, when you mentioned going to Cast Connection, I go there about every other week too, but I, I, I'm focused. I go straight to the back corner and I buy those chicken, uh, chicken nuggets and chicken strips for my sons. That's, <laughs> we just that's had those for dinner. Just awesome. now. Oh. That's, that's what I'm smelling right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
so thanks so much for um, inviting me to join you. Um, the, this idea and opportunity to share stories and as it relates to Disney and and I, I have a ton of them because I, I had the good fortune from 1979 until February of this year uh, to work for the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, I think back how, how fast it went. But when I start breaking it up into decades and years, so many great experiences, so many memories and just very unique opportunities that I'm very thankful to have had. And as you said, I, I started, and I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more in a few moments about the early days, uh, what it was like working at the Magic Kingdom when I first began. Uh, but being part of park operations, being part of the, I don't know, we always believe we had a little competition between those that worked in the parks and those that worked in the resort hotels. And we always used to think, well, the parks are the reason they come here. The hotel is just you know, separate, just a place to sleep. I, that's right. changed, obviously, over the years that the hotels are amazing experiences in and of themselves. But um, but to be part of those parks experiences, both at the Magic Kingdom um, in our transportation area, Epcot Center, now Epcot, and then to join the Disney Institute and spend quite a bit of time sharing my own personal experience, but also sharing a company perspective on how Disney thinks about uh, customer experience, the employee engagement, and, and then how do you engage and lead individuals to be able to provide that service on a consistent basis? That's and uh, very thankful to have been able to do that and to take the Disney brand and represent the Disney brand literally around the world. Wow. And if you'd asked me, you know, 25 years ago, if I thought I would ever do anything like that, I would think it was just pure fantasy and all of a sudden, I can look back at it now, and it's it's hard to believe. So, uh, again, thank you for having me here, and uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to sharing some of my experiences and uh, a few stories along the way. Oh, we can't wait! I'm excited. <laughs> this is going to be great. Uh, so, I, I, when I think back to so the early my early experience with Disney, I I'm a second generation native Floridian, which Nowadays, doesn't really mean anything, but for a long time, that was the thing I would use in two truths and a lie or something because, you know, nobody grew up in Florida, especially, you know, over, you know, had a long family history here. And so I grew up about 45 minutes north of where Walt Disney World is now. And I had a connection to Disney that I didn't even, I didn't even learn about until probably 15 years ago, which was uh, where I grew up, which was in Lake County. And Come to find out, Walt Disney's parents were actually married, oh, less, probably 20 minutes from where I grew up, uh, and um, out in a town that doesn't exist anymore. And I had the opportunity to speak um, up in Lake County to a group, and um, I was presented with a copy of the marriage license for Elias Disney and Flora Call. And I said, wow, I, it's like I'm almost, almost destined to do this. I'm continuing this connection that happened way back then and you know when i was a child you know we i heard about disneyland and all this stuff and that was just a pipe dream and when we it was finally announced that it was coming i didn't really know what to expect but i had some inside perspective my sister i is uh had a, her high school sweetheart they've been married i don't know 55 years now oh, wow. uh, they went on to get married her father-in-law was the orange county representative uh in tallahassee Oh, and was instrumental in bringing Disney here. So I remember him talking about that. Yeah. And uh, uh, so my my brother-in-law right now has one of the pens that was used to sign the special legislation that 
really set up the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which you know a lot of people are aware of that uh, that special legislation that enabled Disney to do the types of things that Disney wanted to do in, right, in Central right. Florida. Um, so yeah, I had this connection. You know, early on, I got exposure to it. We would take Sunday drives to come out and. Uh, look at the construction or try to um, over in the town of Claremont, which is just west of Orlando, there is an attraction there known as the Citrus Tower. And I don't know how tall it is. I used to, it was the tallest thing around for a long time. But you would go up there for like a dollar and go up to the top and you could look over and across the orange groves and you could see the construction happening. So you could see Cinderella Castle rising out of the swamp. And so wow. it was. Oh, wow. It what was a sight. So, so cool. It was. And, and so it, I, I, I went for the first time in early 1972. I think we were having Sunday dinner at the house and my parents just said, do you want to go to the, go to Disney today? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, that was before Pirates opened or anything. But I remember walking down Main Street. I remember the magic shop. I remember people walking around with these leashes that made it look like they had invisible dogs. And that was like the 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 gift you know the thing that people wanted to have and then i'll never forget walking up to the haunted mansion for the first time and the building looked monstrous wow. and it, it was so scary but I, you know i i got the guts up and i went on it and you know that that was my main number one memory but i i, I also the, you know there was a a fence a construct one of our construction fences with signs and it talked about pirates of the caribbean coming in 1973. Wow. And I said, okay, I don't know what that is. I know nothing about it, but pirates are cool. And I can't wait to see it. <laughs> pirates are cool. Yeah, <laughs> without, without a doubt. And so later on, uh, when I was in high school, and I'd been I'd gone to Disney many, many times uh, as the Magic Kingdom back when they had the, the coupon books and the whole bit. And we'd have school trips and church trips and all this stuff. And in the spring of 1979, Disney, uh, the Magic Kingdom particularly, they were looking for help over spring break. And spring break back in those days and through the 80s, basically every school in the country had spring break either the week before Easter Sunday or the week after Easter Sunday. It was very consolidated. So attendance would just spike over those two weeks. So any help they could get. So they actually made the decision to come to our high school or to a lot of high schools. And they did the interviews at the high school and uh, offered me the job to work at Pirates of the Caribbean. And, and I'm just, I said, did, I said really, what would what, I do? And so their original job was they were gonna, I, I was gonna take tickets. So back in those days, it was A, B, C, D, E coupons. And I was just gonna stand in front of Pirates of the Caribbean and just like a crazy person, just grab tickets. And I was so excited. I, I remember I had gotten a haircut to have my interview. And back then, the appearance guidelines were extremely strict. And I went and got a haircut. And my hair was longer than it is right now And because uh, I'm really enjoying retirement. But um, I remember I went to get a haircut. And um, I went for my interview thinking I was all red. I was professional and everything. And then the last thing they told me is I needed a haircut. <laughs> and so the next thing, yeah, I had to go in back and I had to get another haircut. And the person who cut my hair did the... She goes, uh, I told you, I told you it wasn't short enough. Uh, uh, so, and then I think back, but I, I was very lucky. I went to, uh, there was probably a dozen of us from my high school that were going to go. And, and keep in mind, well, I was hired to work for one week. That was all this was about. And we went and did, uh, we went to Disney Traditions, uh, which is the, the global orientation program that was for one day. I went and 
got my costume, my pirate costume, my pink and purple striped socks and my shoes with buckles on them and everything. And uh, they showed me where to go, how to get to where I was going to go. I met at my supervisor and they said, well, it's two weeks before you start work. Are you available next weekend? If you come in, we'll teach you how, we'll train you how to like load boats and unload boats. And then, then they, then they hooked me and work in the control tower. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I really want to do that. So the next Friday after school, I get in the car and I'm just, I'm going down there. I, I remember it so clearly it was a rainy afternoon. Blondie's heart of glass was playing on the radio. <laughs> I get to the magic kingdom. I put on my pirate costume and I show up and I walk in and they're looking at me like, well, who are you? There had been some snafu. They didn't, or they weren't expecting me. So that night was a little, that was, that was tough. They didn't know that I was coming. They had to think. And I went home that night and I told my parents, I said, no, this isn't for me. I don't want to go back. Yeah. Wow. And my dad, you know, and they had awakened, it was midnight, you know, and my dad said, go back tomorrow, give it one more day. If you feel the same way tomorrow, then it's not for you and, and you're good. And fortunately, I went back the next day, they were ready for me. And it was, that was the start. Wow. That was the absolute start. But I, I always tell that story because so many of the organizations we worked with at Disney Institute, they don't pay attention to the early experience that people have. And they think about how many people that they lose. And in this case, they could have lost 44 years. Oh, yeah. You, you yeah. don't know that, but sure. it, it could have happened. And but they, they recovered immediately. And I and I got hooked. And it was the biggest thing. And from then on, I, I started working on weekends while I was still in high school because I was a junior in high school when I started. And then later that year, um, I had the opportunity to go and train on the world famous Jungle Cruise. That's every bit as fun as people think it is. And <laughs> I just, to be able to take people around for 10 minutes and give them that type of an experience with that type of humor, it was like, it was written for me to yeah. do that. After, <laughs> I'm sorry to jump in, but I gotta ask you, do you have a favorite skipper joke? Well, I used to love, we, we had these, there, you know, there was the, the jokes on there, the, you know, that you, that you could tell on, on the attraction and the, the, the one, of course, that the, and I, they're still doing it today is let me point out some of my favorite plants and you just look at them and you just point in different directions. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the, sometimes the ones that were done on the dock, I loved some of the things that they would have us say. One of them was the, this idea of, uh, making an announcement and telling everybody that was in the queue that it was Veterans Day. Now, keep in mind, they all had to have a ticket. And so we're very happy to announce that today all veterans will be admitted free. That's veterans of the Civil War accompanied by their parents and their horse would be admitted for free. <laughs> and, then, and then the other one was, because you're, you're constantly reminding people of all right, well, okay, you got to have your ticket because you're going to wait in line. You may wait in line 45 minutes or an hour. Then you get up to the turnstile. Then you give your ticket. If you don't have one, that's going to be a tough spot. So we're reminding people and we say, now remember, you need to have an e-ticket. That's E as in 888 easily excitable elephants eagerly eating Easter eggs early Easter evenings, enjoying every edible egg. Oh, and everybody uh, had their, yeah, I, I see why you needed to take a sip before you went into that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a side uh, diversion question, but I, whenever I hear somebody got the chance to be a skipper, I have to know, because that is like, that's the main part of that attraction. And my hat's off to you and everybody who does that, because I don't have that type of comedic timing. And I just need to, I always need to know what the favorite joke is. So those are great. Well, it's, it, 
it was so much fun for me because I, I my very nature, my personality, I'm, I'm relatively introverted and I, I like my quiet time. And for me to get on stage and put myself out there was a, a kind of a reach, but it was, it was so much fun to be able to do that. And so again, I'm working weekends. I'm working over the summer. I get to do that. I spent like two summers working at Pirates of the Caribbean. And then I had my first opportunity to become a trainer uh, at Pirates of the Caribbean. So I trained a number of people. I don't think anything bad happened from that experience. And then uh, I became a lead. Sure? Well, I, <laughs> you know, oh e either, no either nothing happened or I'm too old and I don't remember it. I, I, oh, I okay. just plead the fifth. Uh, but I always like, and, and I, I felt that, I mean, it was kind of weird. I mean, you, be, you became a pirate. I, I mean, it was, I, we would show up early. We would hang out. I mean, you would come in just because you wanted to be there. It was the craziest thing. But being able to teach other people and have the the knowledge, be able to share knowledge of what that experience was like. And I remember we used to play play a game with the the new cast members, and we called it "Where Am I?" And basically, we would send them out into the attraction, and they would have I'd sit up in the control tower with my feet up, probably, and they would call me on an intercom from somewhere, and they would have to prove to me where they were. And then I would tell them to go somewhere else and they would have to find it because it's, it's a maze through there and they would do that. So um, a lot of fun. I, I then I, I had the chance to become a lead, uh, which was at that time a, a working foreman. Um, today they have a, a coordinator. So you're basically making sure that people have their breaks and their lunches and responding to any issues on site and so forth. And my first one of those was at the uh, Enchanted Tiki Room. Uh, so I woke up the mechanical uh, Jose our uh, audio and animatronic parrot. Uh, and um, also I was responsible for the treehouse, And that means I got a lot of steps every single day because I think it was 117 steps. I just counted them recently. I went back and see if that was still close, <laughs> pretty close to that. So that was my first opportunity to, to lead other people. And I just, okay, I really like this. I had a chance, I went to Main Street operations, you know, where we had the vehicles on Main Street and the horse street streetcar, the Disney Story Theater, the cinema and so forth. I was a lead there. Um, I was there during the Tencennial celebration. So Disney, uh, the 10th anniversary. That was also a time where we converted the Disney Story Theater into the preview center for Epcot Center. And so we would have a, a presentation there to talk about this thing that was coming that, to be honest, people were trying, it was, it was tough for people to get their arms around. You know, because Epcot Center, Epcot as a concept, as the experimental prototype community of tomorrow was Walt Disney's vision. But I think, you know, but he, he really wanted to be a living, breathing, working community. Now, I, I could argue now, I could look back at it and you could look at the entire Walt Disney World uh, property and say, yeah, that we actually, we delivered upon that and then some. But the actual Epcot concept at that time, it was, well, we don't really know how to do these things Walt wanted to do, but we know how to build theme parks. So we built, we built a theme park, uh, but it took a little bit to, to get that going. And I was just out yesterday for a reunion for folks that uh, worked in the future world part of, of Epcot. And we were reminiscing because I wanted nothing more than to be on the opening crew of Epcot Center. I just, that was my dream. I wanna go be a lead. I wanna go open something, anything. And I never got the call and it was so disheartening, but little did I know I was on some other list to be promoted. And then I had my first kind of management supervisory role, but I got to stay at the Magic Kingdom. So that was good. I got a promotion. The bad news is I didn't go to Epcot Center, but I did get asked to go there for opening day, um, which 
was 41 years ago. The cool thing was it was the night before opening and I got a call and they said, hey, can you come help us with the opening tomorrow? And I'm going, yes, I get to be a part of it. And they said, can you be there at 3.30 in the morning? And I said, yes, I'd love to be a part of it. And they said, can you dress like a guest? And I'm going, wait, wait, what? <laughs> and from what I was told at that time, there was some uncertainty as to what the crowd levels and everything were going to be that morning. Uh, that morning, It could be really busy or maybe not. It was, we didn't have the mechanisms, uh, you know, you weren't, we weren't, you know, tracking things with technology or anything at that time. And uh, so my job on the, at the day Epcot Center opened, October 1st, 1982, was I filled space under a palm tree so it would look good on television. <laughs> For, fortunately, it, uh, it turned out to be a really, uh, a really good day. So those were just, it was such an exciting time. Um, it was so different. Um, I'm sure you're aware when Epcot Center opened, uh, the only Disney characters were the little Mickey's on cast members name tags. You know, there were, it was, it was going to be something completely different. So it took a while for it to find its identity, but the technology that was being used, the depth of the experiences, what people learned from that, it really became something that is an amazing experience overall. I think, I think it still is. I'm so excited to see construction walls coming down. Um, now, uh, you know, today things were delayed, of course, over the last few years, but um, it's really exciting very immersive, very educational, but educate, you know, edutainment as, or uh, I think Walt Disney said something to the effect of fun should never be an enemy to learning. So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt's a teacher. So he he's, I, I can see the smile on his face right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have no problem when we hear uh, parents are taking their kids on vacation out of school to go to Disney world. Cause like you said, you could easily make that a classroom. And it's experiences that they wouldn't get in our classroom. So we never have a problem with them going to Disney World and taking part in that edutainment, as you uh, so rightfully called it there. It's, uh, and I, I would love it. Anytime I would see teachers or interact with teachers that would come through and they there's so much there that they can, you know, really, and it, it really ties very well. So, you know, and, and in those early days, I was thought, you know, there's, what you know, I, I learned a lot for me to get into the position, an you know, opportunity to be promoted. You know, you, you learn things like, okay, early is on time, on time is late, late is unacceptable. That was something you you may have heard that from others so far. You're going to get asked to do a lot of things. There's a lot of work that needs to happen that's not generally related to your job. You say, oh, I'm a jungle cruise skipper. I I, I just get to have fun and entertain people. But there's a lot of other work that goes into it. And there's a lot of times they're going to hand you a pan and a broom, or they're going to have you go scrub something, or they're going to have you put on waders and get in the water. And, you know, it's, I think, I think the key lesson there was whatever you're asked to do, and this was, this is the approach there. And I, this really did come from Walt, whatever you're asked to do, be the best there ever was at it. Yeah. And I've always held that too. I always I talk to my sons about that. And, and, and to that point, in those early days, so many of the leaders that I worked for had worked directly for Walt. So that was the advantage of being there at that moment in time. So when I say something's important to Walt, well, we know it was important to Walt because the people that heard it from Walt are telling us this is not 10 steps removed. It's one step direct communication on what those are. Do you um, have a, a specific like memory or does one of those instances stick out to you where you're like i i'm hearing this you know one step but it's this is what they told you was the way walt wanted is there one that like really stayed with you yeah well one example uh, or, or that we would hear a lot and and we would recount the stories right of 
of some of specific leaders. The Dick Nunes was one that would always share stories. And, you know, he just he recently wrote the book Walt's Apprentice, which is a really great read. But and, and it recounts a lot of the stories that he would tell. But he would talk about Walt's attention to detail. He would talk about how he got called out because Walt went on the took a ride on the Jungle Cruise one day and the Jungle Cruise took about four and a half minutes when it should have been seven or eight minutes because <laughs> they were just trying to move people through the line. And Walt was very clear with him as to why that was important, uh, you know, why he needed to give the guests everything that they were expecting, every part of that show. Mm. And but there were more lessons than that. There was the attention to detail, which was clearly important that he wanted a consistent show and he wanted the guest experience to be amazing. But it's also the story, you know, it's this idea of Walt as a leader was out in the park. He was experiencing the product. He was walking in the guest shoes. And that idea of you cannot spend too much time out in the park with your guests, with your cast members, that's where you're going to see what is working well. That's where you're going to see what's not working well. Yeah, And those types of stories, and then just the expectations that came along with, you know, the cleanliness, uh, the, the commitment to cleanliness. And one of the roles that I had when I was a lead on Main Street, um, I, I could talk about trash cans for about a half an hour. But you know, <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that was so important is we needed to make sure that the trash cans were always straight on the street. Now, the whole idea of of trash cans at Disney go back to Walt and you know Walt influenced the design of the trash cans that we have today because he didn't want trash cans that were open baskets where you could you know see or smell what was inside and things would blow around and whatnot so this idea of having that um fully contained with the flaps on it and everything was you know that goes back to that that time period and but more than that, every trash can in its positioning, it it was it had its own home. It had a position that it would be located. And all day long, I'd be walking up and down the street straightening these trash cans. Now, that's not just me, but I took it personally that these trash cans were going to be straight. Because the idea is if you walk down and there's a trash can every 27 steps, because that's how far you're going to walk before you, you know, if you have a piece of trash, you, you'll drop it on the ground or stick it in your pocket or whatever. And if they're organized, if they're in a straight line, if they're where they need to be, you don't notice that there are any trash cans unless you need a trash can. But if one of them is out just by a couple of inches, all of a sudden you start seeing trash cans. So that's one of those things. And it went back to, we need to do this. This is so important. And all day long, I'd be up and down that street. Those trash cans are straight. I I, I would venture to say I had the straightest trash cans in history, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I know I'm making that up now, but uh, somebody would argue with me. But it was it, you, you took pride in it, right? You, it yeah. was something that was so um, so important. But the, the idea of the cleanliness, the idea of paying attention to every every detail of the experience, not letting anything get in the way of the experience that the guests were going to have, and the good news is that there was always somebody else. There was a leader that was going to be there. They were going to see what was working and what wasn't working. Uh, in those early days, if something wasn't the way that it was supposed to be, I can guarantee you that you'd hear about it. And it may not be particularly pleasant, but it would be settled and it was over with. But it was all done for the right reasons because we need the best guest experience that that we can possibly provide. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be something that is unique and different from anywhere else that that our guests could go. All right. So um, I have um, a question. What was your favorite memory representing the Disney Institute in Singapore? 
okay, so yeah, that's that, yeah, jumping ahead in in my career, but the the opportunity. So let me give you a little background. Let me we can cover a little background of Disney Institute and what that was, and then I'll I'll be happy to answer that question. The Disney Institute came about because really it was a result of a book that was written in I think in the early '80s called In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters and Bob Waterman. In that book, there was a, a relatively minor mention of Disney being an organization that did something really well. And in that case, it was about training and on, onboarding and training and setting people up for success to deliver a great experience. And as a result of that book, you know, companies and, and, and so forth, they start calling us and say, well, can we come to your training? We need help with this. Can we come to your training? And we said, no, our training. <laughs> well, you know, Disney well enough to know if the demand is there, we're going to find some some way to respond to it but the phone kept ringing and we said you know maybe there is a story to tell so that that was really the kind of the inspiration and what drove it and we we started back in 1986 where we uh, offered an opportunity for business professionals to come on site at Walt Disney World and spend three four days with us and we give them some perspective into I think the first program was uh, Disney's approach to people management and we would call that today employee engagement but back at that point in time it was people management and we would talk about, okay, how do we you know, hire people? How do we train people? How do we communicate and ensure that they understand the expectations? How do we take care of them and, and provide recognition and so forth? So it went on and we had a variety of, of other topics around Disney's approach to quality service, leadership excellence. Um, for a while we were doing, providing some perspective around brand loyalty and creativity and innovation. But the idea was, it was best practice sharing. There was a demand organizations and, and leaders uh, would be very interested in how Disney thinks about their business. And so we would share best practices. We would also share the lessons that we learned because there's, there's no magic wand. It's never perfect. But so over time you learn and you apply that learning and then you're able to say, okay, well, based on this experience that we had, we can, um, this is the direction that we went and this is what has worked well for us. And then over time, that evolved into a business where we we started advising organizations um, in a more in-depth way to help them up, adapt and apply. So not just sharing what we do, but working with them to say, all right, let's take what we do and put it to use uh, in your organization and implement it in your organization. So the opportunity to move overseas, when we started, as soon as we started going out, instead of everybody coming to us and we started going out, um, the floodgates open. I don't know how many countries Disney Institute's been to uh, and done work in. But I got. I have to say it's over sixty. And um, but there was an opportunity in Asia. I've been doing a lot of traveling in that part of the world, working with other organizations, and it may just be delivering a presentation at a conference or something. But it could be other work. But we had an organization in Singapore that reached out to us, said we really are working. You know, it was a, a training company that was trying to improve the service levels in Singapore. And uh, the stereotype of Singapore is they've got the best service in the world. And there are many examples of where they do. However, there were some parts of that service sector that they needed help with. So we went over and we did work and we worked with a variety of organizations. So uh, we worked with uh, transportation systems. We worked with a lot of food and beverage, retail and so forth to really help from both an advisory perspective and a training perspective to, to help bump that up a little bit and to give them a perspective and a thinking, not only a Disney thinking, but also a, you know, kind of a Western business 
perspective that was very highly respected. Uh, and they wanted to hear the story. They wanted to hear how we do what we do. And then they'd work very hard to, to apply it. But so we did a lot of work in Singapore and in Southeast Asia. We used, we didn't have um, a Disney park in Singapore, but we have one in Hong Kong, which is about three hours away. So we, uh, sometimes our clients would, they fly to Hong Kong because me standing up and telling a story with slides and pictures and videos is one thing, but being able to share it in, and walk down Main Street and point to things and let them go into the Disney Institute, but I always talk about the living laboratory, let them feel it and kick the tires. That, that was a lot more impactful. And it was, it was such a neat, neat's not a big enough word. Uh, it, it's such a wonderful experience to see the Disney brand brought to life in, in other parts of the world. And uh, I had, I previously had opened our, our park in Paris and uh, then to see how we took that experience and then how how that evolved when we opened in Hong Kong and in, in the mix somewhere where there was Tokyo, which is a, another another experience, which I'd be happy to talk about as well. You, yes, you go, so. uh, I'm just, I'm just mesmerized. I know, um, <laughs> I can tell I, 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 I like this uh, Rob, I know, I know one of the big things um, when we had uh, Lee Cockrell and he, he mm -hmm. was uh, speaking about the importance of you know, se separating customer service from hospitality and how important each of the areas had to be to make the unit work together. Nobody had a bigger job than anybody else. Everybody needed to, for lack of a better word, pull their own weight. Do you think through through the years when you worked there that you've seen up uptick of the actual employees putting customers first? Keep, keeping Walt's uh, vision of, you know, this is this is a part for the people, not for for ourselves. Every time I go and then, you know, looking back to when I was there, every time I would be in the product, whether it was at one of our resort hotels or in our parks, you would see these amazing examples of people that would go above and beyond and deliver a great experience. As we got bigger, it it's it's a lot, it, it's it's harder to do. You, you know, it, it's, it's such a huge, you talk about everybody needs to, to pull together, but when you have 75,000 or so cast members trying to work together, you know, a lot of them are going to do it really well. And there's always going to be some that are going to struggle and they need to help. And that's where that role, the role of the leaders that are there, that are setting the right example, that are making sure that they are reinforcing and recognizing those individuals who are doing it well. Cause I, I still, I'm a big believer that there's more power in recognition than there is in admonishing some, you know, doing anything else. And that, that corrective, the corrective action is should always come after the opportunity look for those who are doing it right, reinforce that, get more people to do that. That's a groundswell of moving in the positive direction as opposed to the old way of, okay, we're going to smack you now because you, you, uh, um, figuratively, because you didn't live up to the standard. But it, it's it's a challenge. And I think now that we've gotten further and further away from Walt, you know, Walt's been gone for longer than in, in the Walt Disney Company, longer than he's he was here. And I think I did math. I, I think I actually, um, I think I worked for the Walt Disney Company slightly longer than Walt did, which is, that's that was a scary thing when I figured that one out. But um <laughs> Yeah, but but it, it is I, I think that the chat that's the challenge of the leaders at, at Disney is being able to make those connections and in in a business environment and in the volume environment it's it, it's hard to do it but it requires they they got to be talking about it every 
single day. And I think a lot of them do it well. I think others, um, especially those that are newer to the organization, they have to, um, they've got to work even harder at it. And um, that, that's, I think that's always going to be a challenge. I, I think though for Disney to continue to be Disney, they have to always keep that top of mind. They have to keep that paramount. There's a lot of competition out there that can build amazing experiences and so forth. What sets Disney apart is Disney, you know. And 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 again, the the bringing to life things that were important to him, and and bringing to life the great stories and and everything that Imagineering does. But that all started with Walt. That's we we need to always stay connected to. We do what we do because of the you know what that that early vision was. And the more that you every time you hear people talking about it. It's just, it always brings a smile to my face when, you know, somebody will tell a Walt story or they'll talk about, oh, well, something was because of Disneyland and we do this here and it's like, okay, that's great. That's somebody who, somebody who gets it. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the big things is knowing that the, the way the company is going towards the future, you know, it's, it's very hard to hold on to the past when, when, you know, think things were different in the 50s things were different in 60s 70s you know those values of nine old men and how they brought things in and you know it's blah, blah. you can't do that nowadays and um so so rob how, how did you handle especially being with the disney institute was it hard were you constantly changing things to make it more modern or were you trying to have a little cross-section between the you know the future and the past I think the cross section is a real good. It's you never want to forget the past, but it, but Walt himself, Walt was an innovator, and he was always trying to move forward and always trying to think of, well, how can we do this differently or better, or um, how can we leverage technology? And you know, the you think back to every time I woke up, Jose at the Enchanted Tiki Room, I was thinking back to the first ever animated audio animatronic characters was the Enchanted Tiki Room back at Disneyland, you know, and that was. That was Walt. That was he. He inspired that, and there was a connection to it. But you know, over time, it's all of that has evolved, and the ability to tell stories has evolved. And but the essence is there. You know, it's it's what's important: the commitment, the quality, the reliance on making sure that you're always telling a good story. And you know, we, one of the things we used to talk about is a great example of lessons learned. Is you know, after Walt Disney passed away in 1966, there was a period of time that you know, Disney creatively kind of lost their way. Cause I, I used to ask the question, say the, the Jungle Book uh, came out, animated feature came out in 1967. I'd say, you know, between that and, you know, The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast, name one hit animated movie. And there, there you know, there, there's a silence because there really wasn't any, we, we had lost that. And, and I, I, I remember so well when Michael Eisner and Frank Wells joined our organization in 1984, and that creative infusion that happened, and it was like, okay, you know, we're, we're getting back to what what it was originally intended to be, and that that creative energy, leading with the story, and then being able to bring the stories to life, not only on film but also into the park experiences and so forth. Um, from a Disney Institute perspective, you know, we would talk about um, you had to have that clarity of vision, you had to have somebody who was able to focus on why we do what we do, what is the purpose of our organization and how are we going to bring that forward? The way that we could talk about that, we could do it in a lot of ways. Now we have all kinds of fancy presentation technology and 
uh, we can have slides and graphics that do cool things and we can have these wonderful videos and we can tell the story in a different way. But it's amazing how the essence of the story comes back to quality and attention to detail and setting the right expectations and aligning people around the concept of purpose. Those are things that have been, those are timeless. So um, I, I have a, a former colleague of mine that really kind of articulated it. Um, and actually, I think it goes back to Marty Sklar, who used to be, you know, uh, head of a Walt Disney Imagineering. Is it, it talk, I remember how you would talk about the, uh, the timelessness of the experiences that you provide, but the timeliness of the execution, how you bring those experiences to life, um, that's going to evolve. But the timelessness of what's at the heart of it is really what, what makes it Disney. Lisa, do you have, uh, I think you're next. What do you, what do you I think? What, what oh, kind of I questions have so you have? many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can see and, Lisa's and, eyes shifting. Like, and, and I, and I would, I would say, I, I, I'll sit here and we'll, we'll, we can do questions all you want. So that's <laughs> no, I, and I don't even know if my friends here really know how passionate about leadership I am like currently working on um, a doctorate in management like wow like really like leadership so <laughs> when I was like oh you're the guest oh yes I want to but I I, you know I loved hearing you know how important those first impressions when someone starts a new job you know how important getting the buy-in and um, you know for them to understand the culture and that need for service excellence. So then here's my question for you. Um, being that you had 43, almost 44 years with the company. Yeah, the almost how, is important. That it's <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, how did you keep bringing that A game to the table? How did you encourage yourself, encourage others to, to keep it up? throughout the whole time. I know we all have days, but like, what, what was your drive? What, what motivated you? There, there were times, you know, to, to, for anybody to suggest that there's anything easy about that. I, you know, I think we all know that that, that is, I think one of the hardest things is how as a leader, do you, are you motivated? And I think part of it goes back to why am I doing this? Because if you can't answer the question personally about why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? You know, nobody else is going to buy. You can you can act like it's important, but nobody else is going to buy it. There's no way in the world anybody's going to buy that. And so it really comes down to you know, I, I learned a long time ago that in, in a leadership role, people are watching you and judging you all the time. And uh, Lee Cockrell would use, he used to tell the story all the time. It's like every day when he would get ready to leave and go to work, um, his wife would just look at him and say, "Remember, they're watching you." And I, 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 that, that was always really important to me because um, back in 2001, um, in my early days at the Disney Institute, when I first joined the Disney Institute, I had a variety of roles before they allowed me to step on stage. They really, I think, I think they were very cautious about that. But uh, I actually had a role where I was responsible for finance. Um, one could argue there's not a whole lot that's magical about finance, but it's like, okay, well, what can I do? in that role to really make make a difference. And I, I always tried really, really hard and um, to put myself in the guest shoes or the client shoes. And, you know, I was, behind, you know, I was the one, you know, approving expense reports and things like that, right? It was, 
but I could really tried hard to, to make that connection. But um, in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, I think they think back to just from a business perspective around the world were so many impacts and it, Disney was no different. And we were struggling to figure out what, how are we going to move forward? We had confidence that we would recover, but we didn't know how soon. And, and we were trying to navigate and we've been charged with, okay, we're going to do this, but we're not, you know, nobody's going to lose their jobs and all this. And it's like, okay, that that's a big ask, you know, but you know, businesses is, is, is not what it was. And people were understandably fearful of traveling and so forth. Um, and, and for us, businesses weren't going to invest in what we did, but I remember one day and it was just, we're, we're navigating, we're trying to figure out how to do all of this stuff. And in a finance role, it was very stressful. And I remember I was in my office and I walked to get something to drink from the little pantry. And I don't remember a whole lot about walking there, but I just know it, it was just, it was a tough day. And I got to the pantry, I got my Coke or whatever. And I went back and I sat, at the, sat down at my desk. Within a minute, one of my colleagues comes into my office, shuts the door and she says, oh my gosh, Rob, what's wrong? What's happening? They were watching me go to the pantry. And because I had my head down and I wasn't interacting with people and I wasn't doing those things that a good leader should be doing, I was so focused on the problems that I had uh, or I was facing or that I perceived, I wasn't interacting. And all of a sudden in their minds, they're going, uh-oh, the finance guy is really stressed out. And you can imagine the dots they started connecting, right? And that was such an important lesson to me because that idea of every time, every interaction that you have, every time somebody sees you, it's sending a message it, and, and it's, it's talking about what's important to me, but it has a significant impact on other people. And, you know, even if you don't have a role with it, it direct reports, you know, it, there's a fundamental belief at Disney that everybody can be, you know, or should be considered a leader because it's, it's about what you do. It's not about the position that you hold. It's about the impact that you have and, and how you engage and inspire other people or influence other people. And that one moment in time was so important because I just, I forgot that this idea of the example that you're setting has an impact. It's not just about on your reputation, but it has an impact on how the other people think, feel, and behave. And that's, that's a big ask right there. That's a lot of responsibility. And so from that moment on, every day that I was in our office, and I used to travel so much that I wasn't in there a whole lot, but if I was in the office, I would go around and I would connect personally with every single person that was there that day. And even if it was just a wave, you know, and, or, or whatever, but I, I would always do that because that was just one of those little things. I said, I've got, I need to do that. I need to set the right example and I need to make people feel that what they're doing is important. And I'm just not going to run in and go hide in the corner off or uh, yeah, I never had a corner office, but go hide in an office and just do my work. I'm going to go out and I'm going to connect with people. And, um, that was an important uh, lesson. But when, when we would work with other organizations and again, the, the, the fundamental idea is you've got to have great leaders that engage and inspire people to deliver a great service experience. It's a really simple concept. I mean, and it really is. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is in its simplicity and its elegance. However, doing it is very hard to do. And so that idea of what are your leaders 
what your leaders say is one thing, what they do is critically important. So how leaders behave, how they interact with people, how are they demonstrating what is important to them is something that we spend an inordinate amount of time working with other organizations to try to get them to define what that looks like and then put mechanisms in place to bring that to life. Because you, you, I, I can understand why you think, Lisa, that you're fascinated by it because it's so critical, it's so important, it's so powerful, and it's, it's it's what drives the engine, right? If you don't have the right leaders in place doing the right thing, then the rest, the rest of it's going to fall apart at some point. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't sustain itself. It no. has to have those leaders. So, awesome! Thank you so much. Rob, in your career at 40, almost 44, I know we got to say that almost, <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost 44 year career. Do any leaders that you, you know, that were there when you were working stand out? Like, is there somebody that you're like, that's a leader that is, you know, that is embodying what you're talking about right now? It's fine. One of them, I, I had a couple of really good leaders early on when I first had the opportunity to be promoted. And I think back to you know, these individuals that saw me, I'm a kid, right? I am basically just out of high school and I had some grand plan about going to college and then it took a lot longer than I wanted to. But for them to have the faith in me to even back in the early days to become a trainer, to become a lead, to to be promoted right when Epcot Center opened way back then, I, you know, I'm 20 years old. I'm, I'm you know, it's almost unheard of, but, you know, right place at the right time doing the right job, but you got to have somebody who believes in you. And then... I remember I got a phone call from uh, my next leader, somebody who I real I had a lot of respect for, who told me I got promoted and I was shocked. I was going, okay, that's supposed to be like three or five years from now. That's not now, but she told me. But then this person who believed in me that had given me these opportunities and had, had moved on, she called me and we had a quick conversation. I remember saying, hey, Marianne, I just, I just want you to know I'll, I, I'll work hard and I'm not going to let you down. And she goes, Rob, there's no way in the world you could. And I ne oh, I'll never forget that because it just gave so much confidence in me. And then the other person, the one who called me to tell me I was promoted, I remember on my first day there and, and she basically said, you know, your job is to make decisions and, and you're going to make some good decisions. You're going to make some bad decisions. She goes, make the decision. It's always better to make a decision and be wrong than not to make a decision at all. And that was kind of a freeing thing that was some, it told me that. And, and much later on, I, was, I remember my last day before I relocated my family and we moved out to the other side of the world in Singapore, I'm walking out of the office and I said something also to the effect of, well, I'll try not to screw up too badly or something like that. You know, I had it in my mind. I was going to go create some international incident, um, but oh I, I said, <laughs> I said, I'll try not to mess up too badly. And my leader at that time, uh, his name was Chris. He goes, um, if you're not making mistakes every single day, you're not trying hard enough. And I said, wow, you know, that's, that great. was a very, yeah, that was a very free. And then, and then I, I did want to go back and share a story um, about Lee Cockrell, since you had him on, he was one uh, as a previous guest. Lee, Lee had this, uh, and I don't know if he, he shared the story. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to listen to the entire interview, but Lee would always encourage people to think differently and to think out of the box and be open to new ideas and new perspectives. And he would talk about how he loved Tabasco sauce. He wanted to put Tabasco sauce on everything. And one time his wife, I guess, and I mean, I have the story exactly right, but you get the idea. His wife got a bottle of green Tabasco sauce instead of red Tabasco sauce. And he goes, I don't want that. What is this? And then he tried it and he liked it better. 
So he got, he started giving out a bottle of green Tabasco sauce to people that he felt were really going to be on and thinking out of thinking differently and trying new things. And one of the, I was a uh, manager of our guest relations uh, uh, business department at Epcot at this time. Uh, he had just, Lee had just become the executive vice president of operations and he was coming around and interacting and meeting people and learning about different parts of the business. So he comes in and um, one of my best leadership moments is I let somebody else who worked for me do the presentation. She'd been there longer than me. She's now a VP of somewhere <laughs> in the organization. But we did the presentation. We were talking, oh, we're going to try this. And we operated a call center. And I said, well, I want to get rid of all the cubicles. And I just want to like have a bank of phones. But then I just, I want to have bean bags. And I want to do that. So I created this whole thing. And it was really entertaining. I thought, I could, you know what, I scored. I scored a green Tabasco sauce. I scored, I, I'm going to get it. And then he sent me a wonderful thank you note. And the note said, you have the potential for a bottle of green Tabasco. <laughs> so year, years later, after he had left, he came back and I got to spend a day with him and I think his his agent and his his right, you know, the person who was helping him write his first book, Creating Magic. And so we spent the whole day together and I told him that story and how I remembered that. And just right after that, I got in the mail my bottle of green Tabasco sauce. That's great. Oh, awesome. And, awesome, uh, awesome. But but that was, you know, he it was just he, he found a way to connect with people and to really encourage us and said, Tonga, I'm going to get it. And then I found a way to do it. And it's like winning an Emmy or something. It, it, it was, I, it was, it was so much fun to go back there. I said, now I, I, I feel like I've achieved all the things that I want to achieve. We'll call it the cockerels. <laughs> It'll just be this like golden uh, Tabasco bottle mm. or green. It's gotta be green. Yeah. It's like, that's what you get. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I did have story. based on that, you know, I think a big part of leadership, you know, is seeing the potential in others, even when they don't see it yet themselves. And so do you have any experiences where you saw someone, because being a leader, you're, you're training about other people up. Were you able to see people reach that potential because, um, you, you pointed it out, you encouraged them, you, um, fostered that growth. You know, a lot of my of my time, my early days, I had the opportunity. I had you know multiple direct reports and and so forth. You know, as as I went on, I I didn't have direct reports, but all of a sudden, my ability to influence, I think, I think it it, it became broader and and being able to connect with people. When I, whenever I would have somebody come back and they would share in, in some way that I encouraged them to do something that they didn't think that they would have been able to do always but but I would never know I, it's like that wasn't the reason I was doing it I I was sometimes it's so often the impact that you have are things that unless somebody comes and tells you about it you don't realize it it's not always in the moment you can have a conversation and say, you know what I really think you have the opportunity to do uh, x y and z I I've always tried to when I see somebody, and, and again, I don't want to give faint praise. I want to, I want to be specific, or I want if I see somebody that's got the opportunity, I say, "You really are special, and this is why, and this is why I think you should you should do that." So, anytime somebody was interested in doing what I did, where you're getting in front of an audience and you're you're sharing a, a, your content, you're sharing a perspective and stories and so forth. Um, really taking the time to 
because you 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 could spot these folks in advance. You you could see it and encouraging them to you should you should come. You should audition. You should be a part. Can we talk more about it and taking the time to um, help somebody learn uh, a perspective? Um, going out and seeking individuals that could be a guest speaker for a, a client group and and spending the time with them to say you can do it. and they get really nervous and they want to do it. I said no, we can we can do this and you know more about this. You are the expert in the room. You can bring this to life and, and taking the time to, and really encouraging people to, to do that. I, I, I remember having people share just anytime I would ask somebody to rate their day, I, I, I'd like to say, oh, rate your day, a scale of one to 10, you know, and if it was below an eight, then let's talk about what could bump it up a little bit. And to have people come and they'd say, oh, that means so much to me when you did that. Well, to me, it was just a simple little check-in point, but to them, they said that encouraged me to, to pause and to reflect and to think about it. You, everybody gets mired down in, in what they're doing every single day. So, you know, it, it was all looking for what people were capable of doing, encourage, trying to have conversations with people and generating an interest in a possibility that, that they may not have even thought was, it may, it may not even been on the radar screen. You know, that was one of the challenges that we've always, that I'm always having at Disney Institute is, um, internally within our organization, helping people understand who we are and what we did. Because when Disney Institute, th that brand opened, it was a campus uh, at Walt Disney World. And it was, we had a lot of classes, we called them personal enrichment courses. I, I think we had like 80 or something of them when we started. But it's learn to cook with a Disney chef, learn to draw with a Disney animator, learn to take pictures with a Disney photographer and all those. And that worked great for a while, but you know, at Walt Disney World, there's a lot of distractions. So people want to go to the parks and all of those kind of things. So when it stopped and then we repurposed that campus to um, Saratoga Springs, which part of the Disney Vacation Club. Now, we had to over, always overcome that Disney Institute closed. No, Disney Institute didn't close. It just evolved into what, what it came today. So a lot of conversation and encouraging people that, hey, have you thought about this? Do you want to be a part of it? Well, what is it? I thought that, it, you know, I, we, we had to sometimes work really hard to, to get that message out. And uh, it doesn't happen anymore, but there was there was a long, long time where I'd wear a Disney Institute cap in the park and I'd run into a cast member and say, oh, Disney Institute, too bad that closed. No, it didn't. It, <laughs> it's bigger and better than ever, but uh, we had to. So Rob, now that you're, you know, you've, you've retired from the Disney Institute, what's your hope for it in the future? Where do you want to see it go? It's so fun to still be connected to it through the friends and colleagues that I worked with. The potential there is, is amazing, right? It is the, I, I think that the, the opportunity now we, you know, the question came up earlier about this balance between you know, the old and the new and, you know, okay, this is, this is Walt and this is the influence of Walt and, and how we, um, and, and what that still does, but also it's the ability to be timely. The entire world has been through something that is unprecedented is a word it's we're used too much, but I don't know of a better word right now, but being a, I, I think what they've done at, at Disney Institute's done is they've accelerated being able to share the lessons of, okay, now this is what we've done. This is how we've navigated. Here are things that are changing and being able to bring that out and share a perspective in almost real time is, it, it, to me, I, th I think that's the benefit, right? We, it, to, to be in the moment, to be timely, 
to be these are the experiences that we're having because we're experiencing the same type of challenges that you the client organizations having let's have that conversation now and and make a greater make a greater impact and I, I it's been good now that we've been able to you know travel was shut down for a long time you know we weren't traveling our clients weren't traveling and now we're traveling i had the good fortune. I, I had two trips to the Middle East right before I retired. I said, okay, this is the right way to go out because that the idea of traveling around the world to, to, to do that work and to make an impact with our clients, that was the most fun part of the job. And you know, er, everywhere I'd go, all of a sudden I'd be pinching myself. I said, I can't believe I'm where I am. And I can't believe I get to do this. Seeing that happen more and more. And now that you know, the world is back to a point where, you know, I think the reach of what Disney Institute can bring around the world is as uh, great as it's ever been. And it, it, there's, I think there's no end in sight. So Brian, I know uh, you, you mentioned you retired. So how often do you go to the parks and what, uh, what rides do you like to do? And what, what, what's a typical Rob Morton day at a park? It's, it's, well, I, I didn't know I didn't know what it, what the experience was like. So I had to, I do have the good fortune as I have access to uh, Disney parks. I have off, uh, access to parks uh, down the street from Disney, and I'm probably in a theme park five days a week uh, if I'm not traveling. And I I get up in the morning. I I my wife and I walk the dog. We I go for a run, and then I say, well, I don't have enough steps yet, so I go to one of the parks and I just I go for a walk and. Um, depending on which park I'm at, if I, if Epcot's the easiest one for me to get to. So that, that's one I'm at the most. And yes, I am awake at 6.58 in the morning and I go in and I get a boarding group for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic <laughs> Rerun. And if I'm, if I'm in the park, then I, I'll, uh, depending on what time my boarding group is, I'll go for a walk and then I'll hit that and I'll go home. So um, there's nothing better than walking around World Showcase, landing at Guardians of the Galaxy and feeling that air conditioning when you, you go in. Um, it's impossible for me to go to the Magic Kingdom without riding Pirates of the Caribbean. And I cannot tell you how many family members um, I am with them. If, if they have a, a, a new child in the family, the first attraction that they ever go on is going to be Pirates and I'm going to be with them. I think our, our, our first son, I think he went on it when he was six weeks old. Fun. That's about, about right. What, it's the... Uh, but yeah, and I, I think being able to go, I love watching the guests. I love eavesdropping on conversations and, and hear what people are talking about. I love watching the interactions between the guests and the cast members. It's just, I look forward to it every day. And, you know, we've talked about, oh, do we want to move somewhere else? And da, 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 da. It's like, okay, maybe someday, but right now I can't give that up. I, I want to be able to do that every, you know, as much as I can. That is the dream. <laughs> that that day that you just said there, walk around uh, World Showcase, hit Cosmic Rewind, and then head out. That is a great day. And my my son, you know, I know Pirates has a special place in your heart. It is my son's favorite ride. It is probably the first song he learned to sing. So he was probably one and a half humming along with the song and singing it. And it it is a must every time we go. Is that the ride you think you've been on the most? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I, I've done that. I. I will tell I, I didn't think anything would ever talk. And I've got others. I mean, I, I love, there's so many experiences that I love, but uh, I did have the opportunity in 2017. Uh, we went over um, and we stopped by Shanghai and we went to Shanghai Disney and I rode Pirates of the Caribbean there. Wow. 
That's what I've heard. <laughs> I could, I that that one I could just do over and over and over and over and over again. It's just very, very unique, but still at its heart and soul, it's pirates. Um, yeah, I think one of um, you mentioned the Jungle Jungle Cruises as well. Um, we had uh, Brian Collins on, um, and he um, did some work on the Jungle Cruise. One of the favorite things of the Jungle Cruise is the the queue, listening to the. Um, Albert Awal uh, in um, Magic Kingdom. And I think there's something about how, you know, how folksy it is that it is so old school. I mean, it's something that I would listen to while I'm working. I'll just mm-hmm. listen to that loop. Um, and if I'm really in the mood, I'll listen to the old uh, Disneyland, uh, the shortwave radio. And oh, I think, yeah. 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 And I think it's just, it's just a creativity that, that, that goes into it you really don't think about it unless you're actually listening to the whole thing and how you know it's just play off because you know nine out of ten times you're standing in the queue you're sweating you're just like oh i just want to get on here but i mean i think you know same thing with with pirates of the caribbean um that the music when you're when you're standing in the the queue before you go into the ride itself i think both of those are probably two of my favorite uh uh, cues to listen to. One of my favorite Jungle Cruise experiences was in uh, Tokyo and rode, rode the Jungle Cruise there with my family and it's all 100% Japanese. I didn't understand one word, but the enthusiasm of the skipper was so unforgettable. And you, you, like, I, I could put my, it's like, I, I could follow the whole story. I couldn't understand one word, but the enthusiasm, the excitement, the reaction, the, it was, it was like this ideal moment in time to watch that come to life in another language and another part of the world. And I got off on there and go, that was such a great ride. And it was, and I think anybody who was familiar with it could have gotten out, gone down that and said, absolutely. That was amazing. I didn't need to understand. I didn't need to hear the words i just i got an experience that was unforgettable all right uh, so so rob have you been to um have you been to all the other uh walt disney parks and on top of that have you been on the cruise lines um yes to, to all of that i've been to all of our disney parks um i did i was fortunate to open um disneyland paris and uh, so i was there for oh, three or four months and uh, my my job there um, was respond. I was responsible for getting all of the invited guests for the grand opening from the, you know, we were, we were getting them from airports and train stations to their hotels, and then primarily it was getting them from the hotels to all the events, including the grand opening ceremony. So that was a uh, experience, and then uh, that was initially with Disney Institute back in the, you know, back before I moved to Singapore, I was in Paris a lot. And uh, I was trying to figure out how many times I've been back there, but I always love it. And uh, I've always said it's my favorite Disney park with a castle, just from a a visual standpoint. And they have a really cool Pirates of the Caribbean. When I saw the two audio animatronic figures sword fighting for the first time, I said, there's nothing that will ever be as cool as, as, uh, as seeing that. And then I, I had the chance to, to be in Hong Kong um, quite a bit when I was uh, when I was based in Singapore. When it opened, it was so it was so small, but it had a charm to it that was just really in you know gr- great service, uh, wonderful people. 
And uh, I had done some early work in Shanghai, but before the park opened, but I wasn't part of the park opening, but I, I was able to go back. So yeah, it's, it's both of my sons have been to all of the Disney parks. So I, I keep trying to tell them, I say, always use that. When you're interviewing for jobs, use that. People are interested in want to hear that. And I think, and until Universal opened their park in, in Beijing, we've been to all the Universal ones as well. So, but yeah, we love that. So yeah, I'll, if I'm not at Disney, I'm at Universal. So there you go. It's. I can't wait. Universal is doing some really fun stuff. Oh my goodness. I can't wait. You know, all the Nintendo things and oh Jeff, my. Sh- no, I'm kidding. No, I'm sorry, man. It's like, well, stop. But hey, I can celebrate everybody, you know. No. Not... Well, we, we used to, people always said, oh, what about your competition? What are you doing about that? You know, what's what's good for one's good for the other, right? Exactly. When it, it was if anything Disney did well, helped you, and anything Universal did. It, it 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 brings more people here and if people are going to be here they're going to experience all of it and it, it's it's a win for everybody but the, their new epic theme park is we i drive by there from time to time it's like you can already see roller coaster tracks and all of this stuff and Ooh, my sons will come home and somebody's somebody's flown a drone over the construction site and they're looking <laughs> trying to figure out everything. that's a good idea actually oh my goodness i didn't even think about that yeah <laughs> It's 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 really fun to see the the Disney brand being brought to life um, overseas. Tokyo is very very unique, um, as you're probably aware. Tokyo is a unique situation in that Disney does does not own or operate yeah. the parks in Tokyo. And yeah. but I will say it's it's as good a Disney experience as anywhere, and in some cases even better. It is immaculate. It yeah. is professional. We 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 used to go. And um, I, ha- I had a colleague, the same one that told me that if I wasn't making mistakes every day, I wasn't trying hard enough. I remember he and I, I being in Tokyo and walking through the parks and we had a 100 yen bet. One, and that's basically a dollar. A 100 yen bet for anybody who could find a, a burned out light bulb. Oh, wow. That, yen, that, that 100 yen coin never changed hands. <laughs> that's cool. That's how, that's how amazing... Uh, that's so cool. Yeah, that 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 experience there and the uh, Tokyo Disney Sea is is a remarkable, very unique park because again, it's it's different. It's not, you know, it's not a park with a castle. It's got yeah. a it, it it has its own its own feel to it. That's it's amazing. One I could go back to again and again and again. Rob, I have a leadership question. If if I if I may, sure. um, here's my problem. I got a lot of things I like. I love doing voices. I want to be excellent. But I have another job. I have a wife and three dogs, and uh, I want to be really good at all those things. But I, the problem for me is balance. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're uh, somebody like me, it's not just one thing that you're trying to be excellent at, but you have maybe you have three or four. How do you you know how do you be ex? Because I I'm not Superman, and I've realized that there there are times where. I have to really be, I have a certain amount of energy and how do I spend that wisely? You know, instead of just putting it on one thing and then all the other things I love fails. It's hard. I my, I used to kind of have the, the mantra, well, if it's not, you know, if you're not having fun, go do something else. So that was always a filter of mine. The problem, I have a lot of fun. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and actually Lee Cockrell's son, Dan, um, who was former VP, Vice President of Magic Kingdom, he used to talk about, you know, every day he'd get up and have all these things that he wanted to do, mm-hmm. but he, there's no way he could do well at all of it. So That's every right. day he would try, he would go for two out of three. 
you know, and it goes, if I can exercise and I can do something with my kids and I can do something, if, if I could, if he could hit two out of the three things, then that was successful because he is never going to do all three and he had to let that go. So there was always every day he just had to go into it and say, you know what, today I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. But, yeah. you know, the important and, and being organized, I would say that the time that I got that I was at my most, I think at the best, and I think I was doing a lot of really good work was when I was in grad school and I'm going to school full time. I've got a new baby in the house, our first child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I'm working and I'm, I'm starting this new adventure where, oh, now I have to get on stage and talk about yeah. stuff that, right. you know, I, I'm a guy that enrolled and withdrew from speech class in college four times because I was afraid to take it. It would, this was a reach for me to do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but because I had so much going on, just that organization and structure, I had to, you know, compartmentalize. And yeah. I like what you said. It's like, well, I, you, you, you only have this much, mm-hmm. you know, you can't spend 200 coins if you only have a hundred. That's right. And, but you, you know, it's what, what's the most thing? What's, what's the thing that's going to make you smile every day? What's the thing, you know, it's right. And I always say, you know, not every day is going to be a laugh riot. Not every day is going to be fun, but for the most part, you're surrounding yourself with those things that right. are. I, I was a big Franklin Covey guy for a long time and really taking that time to plan out my day. And, you know, and I would always put things on my checklist that were really like, like slam dunks, just so I could put a check, check mark. It was like, you know, basically wake up yeah. or brush my teeth or whatever, check. Yeah. And then it was always a good feeling to get things started and, and then prior, you know, and always prioritizing and working through it that way. And, yeah, I was well known for it for a while. I don't know what happened. I abandoned that. <laughs> well, you're retired now. I mean, come uh, on. Uh, oh, no, I abandoned it a long time ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rob, I want uh, you brought up Dan Co- Cochran, and mm-hmm. uh, he's our guest next week. So, oh, is he really? Um, oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I think I think one of the things that really impresses me, especially going to the parks, is that you can actually tell if a cast member gets it. You know, if if they're on board, um, mm-hmm. I remember uh, hearing a story once from um, a friend of mine that he remembers going to Small World and he was standing in line. You know, he looked over the cast member and said hello and the cast member said hello back. And he's like, oh, it's good to be home. And the cast member goes, oh, you live in Florida. And he's like, no, no, home as in I'm home in Walt Disney World. I'm back home. Uh, and he's like, all I re- all I can remember after that was just a strange look that he gave me. And and I was kind of surprised because I was like, isn't that most of the, the conversations that people have? You're always like, they always say, welcome home. Mm-hmm. But he just thought it was kind of odd that, you know, and he said it to a couple other people. You know, he said he got positive and negative responses back out of it because people were, were kind of confused on it. And I don't know, it just feels like the mantra of, you know, the old and new is, it, it's very, it, it's very weird now. Yeah, well, and it, it's, it's funny to say that you, and it used to be the whole, you know, have a magical day or, you know, there it's that, you know, some of these scripts are, when the things are scripted, I, I think they find, they, they tend to sound a little bit too robotic sometimes. And, uh, it's it's funny because I do have guests that will come in and they'll test they're 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 going to test the system, and or they're they're going to try things and their hope is oh I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that but you know 
every individual is different. Every circumstance and every what they're what they're going through is different. I I think I'm more encouraged. I, I, you said something at the very, very very beginning. Of your point is you can walk in and you can see if somebody gets it or they don't. Uh -huh. But the idea of getting it is not the same for each person. What it looks like and feels like, what they say, how they respond, how they interact is going to be different. Now that means, and, and there may be some that 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 don't. Um, but for those who do, it can manifest itself in a, in a number of different ways. You know, we used to say, I, I, I did a lot of work at Disney Institute with automotive uh, and with the automotive industry. So we would work with car dealers and so forth. And, and we would go and we'd visit a dealership. And I, we could always say that you could walk in the front door and you would know whether or not the, uh, again, not just necessarily an individual, but this was influenced by each individual you would walk in the door and you would know right away, do they get it or not get it? Because there's a, there's a vibe, there's a feel. But you can walk in now, you walk up to a, a, an attraction experience if there's a group of cast members and the way that they're interacting with each other and the way that they're interacting with their guests, you get a feel right in, immediately, do they get it or they not get it? And uh, I, I have no doubt that, that that's, a, that's a challenge right now for the leaders today in such a big environment and there having been so much change over the last few years and uh, it was uh, very very challenging that you know that's something that they, they have to be on every single day to really hope that let's make sure that we are setting the standard that the, the clarity of expectations is without question you know cast members know what is expected of them mm -hmm. that doesn't make it easy to do and that's where you have to be on all of that there's just too many things that can take you away from it all right what else anyone else Hey, uh, Rob, do you have anything more, another story, something to search your heart, my friend, do you have anything that you, that you just, you want, I mean, the, you, this is, this is, uh, you said this is your, before we started, this is your first podcast. We have the pleasure oh. of being your first. So is there something that's on your heart, a good story, something you would like to talk about, or how do you feel? Oh, no, this is, this is fun. It, it, it's moved so fast. All of a sudden, I, I looked at the time and go, oh, my gosh, how'd that happen? <laughs> That's um, a good sign. That's a good sign. You know, it's, I'm always, I'm never at a lack of, of wanting to chat and, and to talk about my experiences. I have such yeah. great respect for it and the, the re respect for the organization, for the brand. And I, I feel so fortunate to have been able to go on this ride and yeah it's it's almost hard you know when I've, I've gone back and i've tried to like organize oh i did this and then i did this and then oh i remember this and i remember this and it's almost hard it, it, the experience is almost kind of blended together right it's it's right. it's it's hard sometimes to go back and focus on that specific moment and and some of those that i shared earlier about you know early leaders that i had and 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 those early days of of joining the organization and the influence from Walt things I would talk about a lot because they were so formative and they were so impactful. And they were the reason that, you know, there was a point in time where I made a decision to commit and stay versus go right. do something else. I, I'll share this one. I, I thought this was, uh, this was something that was very encouraging to me. Um, and this was just last year that I did this. I, I had the good fortune to go for a walk in the park with uh, Melissa Valaket, who is the vice president at the Magic Kingdom. And and, and and what she was doing is she was hosting, and it was basically my my understanding of it. It was basically it was a back to the basics. They, they you know we're we're emerging from COVID. We're you know immersing ourselves in this 50th anniversary 
that's a big deal, right? 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom. It, you know, dog, you know, this ought to be this. Um, we've got to be at the top of our game. Um, we deserve to be here, and this is just our chance to really kick it and have have a, you know, a, a great moment. Right. Uh, but you're coming out of the pandemic, and you're coming out of all these things, and she was so focused on getting back to the basics of the guest experience. And mm. I just, I loved listening to, listening to her talk about what was important. So an example of that was this fundamental concept that greeters should greet. Meaning that if you have the role of being a greeter in front of the park where you're, uh, you know, you're, you're there, you're a park greeter and you're helping people process their, their admissions, or you're the greeter in front of an attraction or at a, a food and beverage location, your role should be to greet. You shouldn't be behind anything. You shouldn't mm -hmm. be leaning on anything. You should be facing the guests that are coming towards you. And okay, we, we all, th that all makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But if you don't reinforce that, and then she, she shared examples of how she would respond if she went over and Let's say she walked up and she saw a cast member and they were standing next to something, a piece of trash that had dropped on the ground. And she talked about how she would approach that. And that she would never go up and say, hey, can you pick up that piece of trash? She would go over there. She would pick it up. And then she would have a conversation. Hey, I know there's a piece of trash over here. I got it. I just need your help. This is all of us that have to do that. And then she actually kind of role played it out as to how she would interact with us. That's getting to the basics. That's the heart and soul. This is you want that leader, the person in that role to own that and to, but they have to, they communicate it. And then they have to behave in such a way that is, that demonstrates and set the right, sets the right example. Um, I kind of, I, I used to joke with, with, uh, with Dan Cockrell. It's like, it was very seldom, and we would take our client groups into the park, into, and, and we use the Magic Kingdom all the time. It was a, just a great location. It tells a lot of amazing stories. And I could talk about trash cans for 30 minutes. But <laughs> hey, the, that's got to be the next podcast. The um, be talking trash cans uh, with Rob for the, an entire uh, hour and a half. It'll be awesome. But it was more likely than not, we would be there and I would see Dan in the park. Mm -hmm. And in that role, that's 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 really hard to do. You know, your your, your frontline leaders spend you know seventy eighty percent of their time with their guests and cast members. Somebody at the VP level, they've got a lot going on, and he would make that commitment. And uh, I would always always see him there. Mm -hmm. And you think about the impact that that has. There's there's a lot of clarity of expectations. There's a lot of opportunity to to reinforce and be positive and all the good things that you see. And, but that was very encouraging to me. Um, going back to the, the story of, of, of following Melissa is that really getting back to the basics, there was nothing that she shared that was this new earth shattering thing as, oh, wait, you want us to do what? It was, it was basic fundamental. Yeah. This is what sets Disney apart. And yeah. I just, I left there feeling so positive. I said, okay, this is the right, this is, we talk about this. We say that we do this kind of thing. Yeah. And I just saw it. I just experienced it myself. And it was, it was impactful. I I always see that picture of Walt picking up trash in Disneyland mm -hmm. that one time. And it's like, you know, he's not powerful. He's not Julius Caesar. He's a common man who made something uncommon common that we all can strive to to be like there's a I, let me i'm going to just share one other yeah. story related to that one of our our former 
president um, of Walt Disney World. And I, I don't know what was going on at the time, but um, the local newspaper had sent out a reporter to come out and interview him. And they went for a walk in the park. And somewhere in the article was this observation that he acted more like a janitor than the president of the park because he kept stopping to pick up trash. And I'm thinking, you want a story? Go for a walk in the park with him and see, watch him go past a piece of trash and not pick it up. That's a story. You know, for me, I, I always remember this, like the, they're trying to say, oh, well, you know, I can't believe he would lower himself to do that. And he was so busy picking up trash. It's like, you don't understand that. <laughs> you have to, you know, everybody has to do it. And, and as leaders, we had, that was something you, you had to do. And it started that picture of Walt picking up that piece of rubbish next to that trash can at Disneyland. You, you all did it. You know, of course we do it at the mall and at the grocery store and everywhere else too. But, but we didn't just do it to keep the park clean. We did it because if we didn't do it and somebody saw that we didn't do it, we we're sending the message that it was okay not to do it. And you can't, you can't do it. And um, yeah, that's amazing. Cause I remember, I remember someone telling me, what if Walt was too busy to pick that trash up? What would the park be like then? What if every time they said, Oh, he's too busy. Why, why should we, if the highest man won't do it, why should I do it? I, that's exactly right. It's I, yeah. I think, I think that, 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 kind of came up again and again and again. And you, yeah, I, I, I love that you, you all have such a passion around leadership and such an interest in that because it all starts there, you know, and we used to say, oh, the front line is the bottom line. And that's true, but the front line will never do that. They'll never bring in the bottom line if they are not inspired and taken care of. I love that. You know what I think? I think we should end on that because it's that pregnant pause, as they say. And it's like, that's a great place to end because it gives our listeners a place where there's that little tense moment of like, okay, all right. All right, here we go. But this is my week. And wow. Just Rob. Great, great interview. Thank, thank you for giving me the opportunity. This oh, is no, what thank a fun you. way to, I, I, I've been looking forward to this. You, you, you never know. I've, I've listened to a number of podcasts and so forth, but to be in the middle of it, it's it's a very different experience. Yeah. And uh, well, you didn't I, disappoint. You didn't. I, disappoint. I really, I, I yeah, I do. I do hope that uh, those who tune in and and listen at some point that they're able to take something away from this, or if it sparks an interest for them to go and dig a little bit further uh, themselves to go yeah. look for a detail that means something to them, or to think about the story that they're telling. All of that is. Uh, we're all better off of that. Yeah. Now it was your first podcast. It doesn't mean it has to be your last. All right. So would you, would you consider coming back on? Was it a, well, you, you just, you, you decide if there's an interest in doing that, uh, Barry knows how to find me apparently. Okay. So Barry finds um, every, I, Barry's good at that stuff. <laughs> he just knows Barry's a gifted man. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Barry, you want to take us out? Rob, it it was great having you on, and we definitely have to do it again. And you you just you just hit all the buttons tonight, and it it was it was just amazing. Thank thank you so much for reaching out, Bear. I'm just I'm I'm thrilled that we had a chance to to do this. All right, uh, we wanted to thank you all for tuning into another episode of Sharing the Magic. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And please, please, please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. And until next time, keep sharing the magic.